TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. I should point out that tomorrow I will be off and our friend Brad Young will be hosting the show. So I'm really looking forward to having him back in. He does a fantastic job. Joining us for this first half hour of the 10 o'clock hour, it kind of rhymes, is the author of a new book called Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare, States Care and Market-Based Medicine, Dr. Dean Waldman. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So I think that most people would recognize that here in the United States, our healthcare system is not uh, great, as in it's pretty screwed up. There's a lot of uh, problems that people run into. It's far from perfect. We're constantly talking about ways to improve it. Uh, a lot of people don't like the recommendations that come up. They're skeptical of it. If it's worthwhile, will it work? Whatever it is. And I think that different ideas need to be brought up and addressed. You come up with an idea that is less on the federal side and more on the state side. So in your book, Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare, what are those things you go over? Basically, it's uh, really, in a sense, quite simple. And one of the reasons I emphasize the simplicity is the fact that healthcare has become, or at least is uh, said to be, extremely complex. And yet, healthcare is the the service, the connection between a doctor and a patient, is the simplest thing in the world. One doctor, one patient, and nobody's supposed to be in between. And my point, as both a physician and uh, I have been uh, a seriously ill patient as well. I uh, race bicycles and have crashed a number of times, including mm. once uh, in the intensive care unit. Anyway, wow. um, my point is what we need to do is start by saying what's really wrong with the healthcare system, not the symptoms of the actual root cause. And when you look at that, you find that the system has cancer, that the cancer has gotten in between the patient and the doctor, or more specifically, if you talk about patients, between the patient and his or her ability to decide what care they get and how to spend their money. And what I think we need to do is return that control to the American people. So when you say you, and this is totally unrelated to your book, but when you're doing motorbikes and things, are we talking like evil Knievel stuff? Is that what happened? Pedal bikes. Oh, pedal bikes. Wow. So when you're doing long-form races, can I ask, how did you hurt yourself? 
Actually, I don't do long races. I am what's known as a tracky. I race the velodrome, you know, the banked track that uh, goes around in an oval. And because uh, I'm a sprinter, not a long distance uh, athlete. And, uh, you know, you're going at, <laughs> uh, at the highest speed we ever get is like 38 to 40, 42. And if you fall down or if you connect with somebody else at that speed, you're going to go down hard. And that's what I have done. Oh, it's terrible. So going back to the book, Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare. So trying to find those connections, it's it sometimes seems easier than not, because even if we go back and look at Obamacare, one of the big promises was if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Well, when they started opening things up, we found that that wasn't always necessarily the case. And then premiums were going through the roof. And even the, some of the ideas used for that, they thought if we can just if we can just get a lot of people into the markets, we can drive prices down kind of like a bulk price. But what ended up happening was there was a lot more people that signed up for Medicare, Medicaid that weren't buying into the system, were, get, were taking out of the system, and the prices went up for those that were paying into it. So how would that be any different on the state level? Like what, what would be different based on what we saw during Obamacare right. versus what yeah. you're proposing on a state level? Two things, two really big things. Number one, um, and probably most important, is if you uh, uh, devolve uh, control of health care to the state level, you get rid of the federal health care bureaucracy. Now, the federal health care bureaucracy, and the, and the, in the book Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare, I, I discussed this so that everybody is clear. The bureaucracy consumes over 40% of U.S. health care spending. In other words, over a trillion dollars of, quote, health care spending, end quote, produces no care. So if you got rid of that cost, you would suddenly find, uh, whether you live in California or New York or uh, uh, Missouri or wherever, um, uh, Texas, New Mexico, you would suddenly find that the cost to deliver care has gone down tremendously by close to half just by getting rid of the federal control, the federal bureaucracy. Then you'd turn around and say, well, Californians, at least according to polls, seem to want a single-payer system. Fine. If you think you can make a single-payer system work, you should be allowed to do so. If Texas, which I happen to know because I work in Texas, if, uh, if Texas wants a market-based system, which gives control to the consumer rather than to the government, they, 29 million Texans, should be allowed to have the system they want without Washington both telling them what to do and stealing their money. So hmm. the answer to your question is the solution is to let the people in their states, or if you're in a small state and you want to get a bunch of states together, like all the New England states or something like that, you should uh, be allowed to do so, free to do so, because this country is based on, forgive the word, freedom. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to bring you an example, and maybe you can uh, talk about how this may be different than that. So in Illinois, in some of the other states that have done this, where they expand things like Medicaid or Medicare, they find that they budget a certain amount of the state's budget based on what they think it would need to expand this for the people, offer it as a service, and then they always exceed that. So there was one very famous example in Illinois when they started to expand it in 2014 to 16, they budget 
budgeted about four and a half billion dollars, but the actual amount they needed to spend was close was, was over nine billion. So it was well under what they thought they would need to invest to do something like this. So yes, how do you? I can, yeah. I can explain that very simply, and I have a perfect example in my home state of New Mexico, which uh, when they uh, New Mexico expanded um, Medicaid. They suddenly, uh, the, the uh, legislative budget committee said to the governor, oh, my goodness, we will get $3 billion additional dollars out of the feds. So, yeah, let's do this. And so against advice by people like me, uh, the governor then did it. And what happened was we got $3 billion additional dollars. However, the cost, and this is the same thing in Illinois, the cost uh, to pay the insurance companies for the additional mandates and the compliance regulations of Obamacare and of the expansion of regulation cost $3.4 billion. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, even though we had these $3 billion additional dollars, there was a shortfall in Medicaid of $400 million. And so what did they do to make the budget balance? They reduced uh, payments to providers, so you get more insured people with worthless insurance because the doctors aren't there to take care of the patients. So as long as the government controls your dollars, my dollars, where they go, and how many of them go to hospitals versus how many of them go to bureaucrats, this system mm. won't work. And that's why I keep saying get rid of the federal bureaucracy, return control of money and patient care to patients, and Mm -hmm. let them decide, is it worth it for me to have um, uh, my hernia repair at that hospital or this hospital based on, A, the cost, and, B, the results of those two hospitals? After all, I'm spending my money. And, by the way, before I forget, I want to make sure your audience understands that last year the average American family spent $28,166 on health care costs. The vast majority of that did not go to your doctor or your hospital or the pharmacy. It went to insurance companies. And I want a system where that $28,000 that came out of your pocket goes into your HSA and you decide what to do with that twenty-eight grand, not the insurance company. Well, so uh, when we come back from break, I, I do want to talk to you about some of those catastrophic things that would sure. Sure. G- well exceed costs like that. So you talk about going to the, you know, emergency room and having all these expensive surgeries. So all of a sudden, twenty-eight grand is nothing. Like you know, let's say you have something catastrophic happen to you yes. and your family. Yes. So what happens in instances like that? And then maybe um, some states that you think this would work in some states this wouldn't work, but let's do that after the break real quick. Uh, Dr. Waldman, if people wanted to find your book called curing the cancer in us healthcare, where can they find it? Uh, Just go to Amazon um, and make sure you get the one with a white cover and it's very inexpensive. It's like 10 bucks, I think. And we just got, we just released an audio uh, version and we found this wonderful narrator. I just love listening to her. So if you're into audio books, you definitely should get that. We'll uh, continue our conversation with Dr. Dean Waldman, curing the cancer in U.S. healthcare, states care in the market-based. We'll continue our conversation next on Overnight America KMOX. 
Traffic and weather together every 10 minutes, mornings and afternoons on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. And Overnight America continues. I want to thank our guest who is hanging out with us for another segment, Dr. Dean Waldman, author of Curing the Cancer in the U.S. Healthcare, uh, State's Care in Market-Based Medicine, Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare. Uh, Dr. Waldman, again, thanks for coming on to KMOX. My pleasure. And I know you brought up something that everybody talks about, and so I want to respond to it. Namely, what about, you know, even if I had 28000 or $40,000 in an HSA, you know, if... God forbid I'm in an automobile accident or I have a heart attack and I have to have heart surgery. Suddenly you're talking about a bill of a hundred thousand, two hundred, quarter of a million dollars. The answer to that is actually quite simple, and that is if you have very high deductible. By very high, I mean ten thousand dollar deductible, uh, um, catastrophic health insurance. You pay for all the uh, office visits and the hernia repairs and the and the uh, mammograms and so forth and vaccinations, um, and the insurance company doesn't pay for that just the way they don't pay for your oil change when you have auto insurance. But if, God forbid, you're in an automobile accident, you've got a $10,000 deductible policy that's probably going to cost you eh, three to $4,000 a year rather than a month, um, and you can easily afford that out of your HSA, and if, God forbid, something terrible happens, you're covered because you have high-deductible catastrophic insurance with no limit. So that, that whole problem goes away. And there's one other problem that I know you're going to bring up, and that is what about those with the really expensive pre-existing conditions? You know, the diabetics with chronic lung disease uh, and arthritis and kidney failure and so forth, again, number one, catastrophic insurance, and number two, before Obamacare, most of the states in the United States had very effective high-risk pools for the, um, shall we say, medically vulnerable and um, impoverished Americans, and they worked quite well. I know because I was on the board of our our one here in, in New Mexico. The fact is that was a system that worked and when the government took over with Obamacare, um, those were crushed and they went away. I say, let's go back to them. They worked before. Why shouldn't they work now? So the medically vulnerable are taken care of. The disasters, which are fairly infrequent compared to the cost of uh, diarrhea and an office visit for a mammogram or abdominal pain and so forth, um, those are all covered through your HSA, and that's the end of it. And there's no spending on wasteful bureaucracy. Mm, okay, so I'll, I'll bring up a couple of things that come to mind, and, and sure. this would be some of the concerns. So let's say you have these HSA accounts that individuals have that are well-funded, and the different medical providers and places, they're like, well, okay, everyone's got this money now. It's like there's an infusion of money in the healthcare. What stops them from overcharging you? Very simple. It's called competition. Right now, doctors will just pick on doctors since I'm one of them and I'd like to pick on my own. Uh, doctors don't compete with other doctors. They don't compete on price. They don't compete on results. We have contracts with health plans. That's where uh, we get our money and we get our money based on what they say they're going to pay us. Now, in a free market kind of a system, uh, I've got an office. I'm a pediatric cardiologist. I put out my um, 
my charges for a consultation, uh, $150 or whatever, okay? Meanwhile, somebody down the street puts out his price list, and for a consultation, he does $125 or $100, and the patient can look and see, well, you know, I'm willing to pay the 150 for Waldman because his credentials are better or I can get in sooner, or, no, I want to go with the least expensive, and meanwhile, I'm competing with this guy down the street. So prices, because of competition, plummet. Hmm. But when you, what happens with all this unused money? Let's say you, you continue to just build up your HSA as an individual, and then it just sits uh, there. You what leave happens? It, uh, uh, this I feel very strongly about. You leave it, and you know if it's a family HSA and uh, your mother has um, uh, a catastrophic event, or for that matter, it's your money, if you want to use it for your neighbor who is in an automobile accident and you want to cover his uh, medical expenses, you are free to do It's your money. You should be allowed to spend, as long as it's on medical care, you should be allowed to spend it however you wish. And frankly, you should be able to turn it over. Let's say I had a hundred grand, or if they paid me out the amount of money, which is probably a quarter of a million dollars that I paid in to Medicare, and I had control of that money, and I wanted to turn that over to my children or my grandchildren, why shouldn't I be able to do so? What happens when, let's say, you're not paying into the system, so someone doesn't have, like, what happens to those that don't have anyone or anything going into this HSA, that because maybe they're not taxpayers or they don't have a job or whatever it may be? Okay, and uh, uh, they're in the book, Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare, there is a plan for a state-supported HSA, but, and I must emphasize this, that should be up to the state to decide if they wish to support, let's say you're, you're uh, a minimum wage person and uh, your, your total income is 30 grand a year, well, you're sure as hell not putting 28 grand into an HSA, your state might choose to say, look, this is a healthy person, but uh, he's trying to take responsibility, so we'll develop a state-supported plus some money from, my, my plan has some money from the person himself so that there is personal responsibility, there's skin in the game, but uh, the state might be willing to say, okay, let's give this person a state-supported HSA, and he can buy the catastrophic insurance out of that, or, or the family can, and that's a perfectly good plan, and I actually, in the book, I show a financial model. I did this with uh, uh, a brilliant Ph.D. economist, friend of mine whose name I won't mention because he doesn't like uh, the kudos, even though I think he's wonderful. And we did the financial modeling, and this works, and it's much cheaper for the state to do what I just said, to give the impoverished a state-supported uh, HSA than what they're currently spending on Medicaid. And so I turn around and I look at the money, whether you're in Missouri or in Illinois, uh, Medicaid is the number one expense item in virtually every state budget. And I turn around and say, well, hell, why don't we create HSAs for these people using that money and let them be responsible for themselves and when you do the math, which I did in the book, and you can see the tables, it's cheaper 
by almost an order of magnitude for the state, not to mention that it's better medical care for the individual. This may seem like a blanket statement, and it's probably an unfair one, but when it comes to Republicans and Democrats, the way that they handled it, and you can see how, like Republicans, for example, they looked at Obamacare and they said this individual mandate, we need to get rid of it. People should be responsible and make their own decisions on how they want to, if they shouldn't be forced to buy this if they don't want to buy it. On this other hand, you can say, okay, maybe the Democrat way is people are irresponsible. That's why we need to just have a blanket way to protect everyone. We need universal health care. Let's why even mess with all of this? We'll just do universal health care. We don't have to do accounts. We don't have to do all these things. We'll just cover everyone all the time. So what would be the case to say this would be a better system than just a universal health care? Very simple. Everything you just said, Republican, Democrat, in that sense, I am neither. Every Republican or Democrat plan ends up, A, being, con- being developed by Washington and imposed as one size fits all to the country and and with this huge bureaucratic cost. And I turn around and say, let's simply tell them, thank you very much for your past efforts, goodbye, and uh, you live in uh, Missouri, I assume, um, in beautiful St. Louis, which uh, is a beautiful city with lousy weather. And um, (laughs) uh, I know because I've lived in Chicago for a long time. Um, uh, Great place, uh, St. Louis. Just say goodbye. I can take care of myself, and I don't want to pay you all this money into your bureaucracy. I want to use it for my people's uh, medical care, and I have a way, I am Missouri, I have a way to do this that will work for our people given our resources and given our constraints, um, and you shouldn't tell me what to do, and I'll do what I want. And I'll give you a great example. The exact uh, Montana 145,000 square miles has the exact same population number as Rhode Island with 1,200 square miles. And why should the same healthcare system work in those two states? The answer is, of course it shouldn't. Montana should develop, for example, a, a telemedicine structure that, that works for their very scattered and diverse population. They only have 1,100 doctors and 145,000 square miles, and uh, Rhode Island has 5,500 doctors in 1,200 square miles. I mean, you uh, knock them over on the way to the grocery store. So <laughs> <laughs> my point is one size fits all dictated by, Medi- uh, by Washington at this huge cost to us we the patients, is not the way to solve our health care problems. We should let the people solve their own health care problems. All right. So one more time, Dr. Waldman, you have the book Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare. If people wanted to find it, look it up for themselves. Where can they get it? Right on Amazon. Easy. Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare, States Care in Market-Based Medicine. Dr. Yes, Dean Waldman, one with a white I- cover. There's a prior one with a black cover, which is incredibly expensive. I wanted to take it out of circulation for a complex uh, series of reasons, which is actually explained in the book with a white cover, but um, um, uh, actually Amazon won't let you take a book off. So, uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I doctor- really want people to read this because I want people to think about the ideas and begin to talk to each other about the ideas rather than everybody looking for 
a simple answer from Great Britain or, oh, we should use the Australian system or whatever, Canada, whatever, to heck with that. We should talk to each other and figure this out on our own. Good idea. I like that idea. Uh, Dr. Waldman, I really appreciate the last half hour. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Thank you. And I wish you well. And uh, and I give great credit to uh, the Show Me State. Thank you very much. We love it here in Missouri. We think uh, we could be an example to many other states, too. Uh, He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Dr. Dean Waldman, again, the book Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. News Radio 1120 KMOX. The voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back. We have about uh, 20 minutes left here, maybe a little bit less in the hour. And I wanted to talk about President Trump giving an update on the election today. So he is certainly not ready to give in to this. And even some clarification from the Department of Justice, there was some comments that came out regarding Attorney General Barr when it came to saying that the claims of voter fraud probes are over. He said, "Ah, no, they're not over. Uh, Some people went out and a spokesperson for the Department of Justice said some media outlets have incorrectly reported that Department has concluded its investigation of the election fraud and announced an affirmative finding that no fraud in the election that was not what the Associated Press reported, nor what the Attorney General said. The Department will continue to receive and pursue all specific and credible allegations of fraud in, uh, as possible. So this was the clarification that came out because there were a lot of headlines that said, William Barr says, no, not enough to overturn the election, right? You saw all of these different things. It doesn't mean that the investigation is over. So it puts that little bit of hope back into the system, those that have been holding out and hoping that this could be overturned. Like I mentioned in previous times, I no longer hold out hope. I, I feel like um, I've lost the hope and I've just came to the conclusion that Joe Biden will be Uh, put into office in January. However, uh, Donald Trump did come out with a message today, and he was at the podium and gave a couple of minutes speech posted on social media, which you can find online. Uh, Here's the first two minutes of it. I thought I would play this post-election message to show that it seems like he is not ready to give up the fight just yet. Thank you. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. 
We used to have what was called election day. Now we have election days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner, even while many key states were still being counted. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections. So this is the, the start of the speech. So a big part of it is we need to try to make sure that there are checks in place so that this type of fraud doesn't happen again. On the other hand, you can go back and look at some of the states and the evidence that's presented, like Arizona and Pennsylvania, some pretty compelling pieces of evidence and things, other things not as compelling, but nonetheless, they're still preventing, uh, presenting what they have found in those cases. And you can see and watch these hearings for yourself, some pretty interesting things. But Georgia, you know, and Michigan and Wisconsin and some of these areas, there are other legal battles that are going on, but they just haven't materialized in at least a timely fashion to make me believe that anything will turn around before January. I don't know if the legacy of Donald Trump will be that after he's out of office, and this is just assuming in most likely case scenario that Joe Biden takes office, I don't know if he'll continue to fight this, as in the idea is, He's so concerned with the fraud and the irregularities that we've seen that that's going to be his mission, perhaps like his goal in life is to just try to prove that he got the screws put to him during this election and then eventually prove it. So even though he wouldn't reverse the course of the election, it would just give him the vindication that he was right on this and maybe change things yet again. Maybe it leads him to running again in 2024. I don't know. I know I've already done this topic a couple of times since then, but as the days go by and as we're now past Thanksgiving, I I just wonder how many people still hold out honest hope that this will get turned around. I feel like the ones that have had hope, they're starting to be fatigued by all of this, and they they don't feel as confident, but they still believe it but just not as confidently. Or maybe you feel it as confident as before. I just don't know. Uh, 314-436-7900. 
or 800-925-1120. I'm glad that we played that message from President Trump. I don't know how many other shows get the opportunity to play two-minute long speeches, things like that. I'm glad that we got to do that tonight. I think it's important to hear these things, uh, the messages from the president particularly when it's uh, timely, as we had that late message come in today. I just don't know where it goes from here. Honestly, I just don't know. Uh, you, you see all, all these different things online. All of them are different in their own way. Some of them credible and not. It's just so mixed in together. It's hard for me to keep up hope, and I just don't have it. I've lost it some time ago. We'll take some of your calls if you want to call in. It's Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Well, we do have some calls on this, which is good. And I think you know my stance on this. I've talked about it on the show. It really hasn't changed much. And I'm just curious. Sometimes I want to know what are the changes in the audience, if things have changed. Let's uh, start off with Dan, who's calling in. Welcome to Overnight America. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Great show as always. Hey, hear me out before you say anything. Um, number one, there's no way that this clown is going to end up winning in this election. He's uh, tricking people out there to send him money so he can help pay for his legal bills that he's going to need. Because if he can't pardon himself, there's no way Biden's going to pardon him. And then even if he does pardon himself, how in the world can he run for another election in 2024 if he's uh, admitting that he's done wrong and being pardoned, him, his family, his lawyer, whoever it is that he's wanting to pardon, I can't see how anybody can run for another election if he gets pardoned because that's telling me that he has broke the law. And I'm sure there's fraud somewhere in, uh, in his uh, job that he's done. So thanks for taking my call. All right. Well, let me point it. I think the last thing you said is the reason why something like this should be considered. There has to be fraud in there somewhere. What does that lead to? Endless investigations in witch hunts, which have been the M.O. against Donald Trump from the very beginning. The inappropriate use of government to try to target a opponent when it came back to the Barack Obama administration and the way that they used the targeted investigations that ended up materializing nothing. So for the rest of your life, if the whole, I'm just going to play exactly what you said at the very end of your phone call, there has to be fraud there somewhere. So what are we going to do? We're going to get, he's going to be out of office and it's going to be a continual harassment from these agencies in the government because they don't like the guy. Give me a break. So, when it comes to trying to stop that from happening, I totally understand the logic with that. I do. And I think that you said it best. There has to be there somewhere. So what do you want to do? You want to investigate him until he dies? Is that what you want? And to, for the rest of his life? Uh, is that what you want to happen? That's just lousy. That's no way to handle things. And unfortunately, the way that they've treated him in the past and the track record that we've seen all indicates that they would use that and use the government to give him a hard time forever. That's a shame, and that shouldn't happen. If there was um, a little bit of decency in the sense that they were, instead of being guided by the hate that they have for Donald Trump, and they were actually looking at what would be you know, evidence or reasons to bring investigations up, then we wouldn't have to worry about this. So I'm just going to point that out. Let's go to Larry, who's calling in. Welcome to Overnight America. I'm going to make a couple movie comments. In, in a couple segments ago, I don't know, an hour or so ago, the movie you were looking for was Cool Hand Luke. 
Ah, okay. Go ahead, Luke. The, it's or, the, the guard of the prison told told Paul Newman, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Anyways, <laughs> right, okay. Anyways, in the movie in the movie Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne tells Red, Hope is the greatest of things. Ryan, don't lose your hope. Mm. Secondly, I don't think Donald Trump, Dan needs to stand on a street corner with his hat and beg for money. He's a billionaire. Do a little homework. Lastly, by the way, I got a little, I got an email today, Ryan, from moveon.org. You think I should join? <laughs> Unbelievable. I'd like to, uh-huh. I'd like to send them something, but I can't, I can't have to refrain from the dump button. By oh, the way, boy. so if Joe, if Joe Biden does finally get this job. He says he's going to raise taxes. He's going to raise corporate taxes. Do you know what that means for business in America? That means they're going to all run over to China and they're going to, they're going to hire cheap wages. That's exactly what's going to happen. And there's a, I think the same thing um, that happened when the Obamacare taxes came into place, the the companies realized that in order to get around it, we're either going to have to cut people or hours. They're going to have to balance it somehow. And I tell you right now, coming off of COVID in 2020, they're not flush with cash. Uh, so it's not an easy decision for them, but you start raising taxes, they're going to have to make it up somewhere. Right. And there's a, there's a Congressman. I, I, I think he's in the house of rep. His name is Vernon Jones from Georgia. Are you familiar with them? So is he, is Vernon the one that flipped? Was he a Democrat that turned Republican? If I remember, he, he's or am still I thinking a someone Democrat, else? But he, he's still a Democrat. But he was talking about this upcoming election in Georgia, and he said, "Quote: We need to hold the line. These two Republicans need to win this election, or this country is going down socialism." And I said uh-huh. it last night or the other night. There is no patriotism in socialism. Wake up, America. Wake up. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, th- good to hear from you, Larry. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Mike, who's holding on. Welcome to Overnight America. Hey, good evening. You know, here's the thing I don't understand, and it's disappointing. First of all, I don't put a lot of stock on who the president is. We, we can survive a, a, a president for four or eight years. History's proven that. But how the Republicans basically won this election and, and Trump didn't. Is this just something I don't get? You mean everybody went in there and didn't vote for Trump, but didn't vote as a Republican ticket? That just don't make any sense to me. With the so you're saying that they voted one way for the presidential side, but differently for the state ballots, or just decided not yeah. to? Is that what you're referring to? Yes, I know. When I vote, I usually just vote a Republican ticket. Mm. I just find yeah. It if you're going to go one way. No, that's true. But now keep in mind that when the individual demographics in some of these states, you don't see the irregularities until it comes to these giant battleground states, the huge influxes. Wouldn't you think that if there was these giant influxes, it would happen in all the states and all these different major cities? Why would it just be some of them that you would see it? That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? The Republicans did well, but the president didn't. I don't know. That just seems a little too odd to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting, too. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for your call. There are a lot of irregularities when you look at it and and you scratch your head and you say, statistically speaking, how is it possible that when you do a data dump, 99 percent of the votes are Joe Biden? When we know, demographically speaking, that it's it's a lot closer than 99 percent to one. Uh, Let's go to Stan, who's calling in. Welcome to Overnight America. 
Hey, Ryan. Hey, thank you for having me on here. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. look, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, can you hear me? Uh, I can. I'm Go ahead. Spot. I'm a truck driver. Okay. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot of irregularities in in this election, okay? And like I say, I'm, I've got a lot of hope, a lot of hope for Donald Trump to be, be elected. But we need every one of our Republicans and conservatives to stand up. Their backbone is gone. They need to stand mm-hmm. up because... They're not making enough noise. That's all the that's all the Democrats have been doing is making noise. They've been making all kinds of noise, and you know, and it uh, it's just it's just got me uh, uh, it's got me stumped on how uh, Joe Biden has not been uh, called out for his mental capacity. He's had mm. cognitive difficulty since last October. Mm. He has shown some very troubling trends, and I think there's a reason why they try to hide him and only bring him out at certain times is because they're afraid that more of those things start to come to public's eyes. But Stan, thank you very much for your call. And I, I think all of that is pretty clear to a lot of people, and that does trouble even Democrats for the sake. But I think for the most part, they looked at what the backup option was and they were pleased with it. We'll take some more of your calls coming up. Don't go anywhere. 314-436-7900 on KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.